Welcome to Eurasia Chat, a bi-weekly discussion of the hottest topics in Central Asia with your hosts Alisher Hamidov and Aigirim Tuluhanova. This week we discuss four topics. The first one is about the disaster in Turkey and how Central Asian states have helped uh, Turkey and Syria and also how they started to question earthquake preparations in Central Asian states. As February 14th is coming, there is a division among Central Asians how to celebrate this day. Then we will move to the relationship between Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan, how the dynamics have changed. And then we will move to the booming movie industry in Central Asia. Let's start with the first topic. Alisher? Yeah. So what happened was a tragedy. Over the past several days, much of the attention in Central Asia has focused on what's happened in Turkey, you know, and there's this outpouring of public sympathy. Central Asian governments, they've all sent humanitarian aid as well as rescuers. So there's a lot of solidarity with Turkey after the disaster. But there's also some real questioning happening in Central Asian cities about how prepared are we for earthquakes? Is this what's happening in Kazakhstan as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm myself from Almaty, and Almaty is uh, quite famous for its earthquakes. I remember when I was a child, we had a lot of earthquakes, and I remember myself that the wardrobe was shaking and the things were falling off. But we as a family were like, okay, it will finish, it's fine, you know, and nobody even left the house. And now when we see this devastating disaster in Turkey and Syria and other neighboring countries, I see that a lot of Almaty people and overall in Kazakhstan, Mm -hmm. they start to question how really are we prepared for this disaster? Because Almaty itself is literally located on the tectonic plates. And in case there is a heavy earthquake like the one in Turkey, I'm sure the whole Almaty will be gone. And there is also widespread belief that the buildings in Almaty, the new ones, might not be as good in terms of seismological safety than the ones that were built during Soviet time. What is the case in Bishkek? What people are talking about and are they questioning whether Bishkek is prepared for something like that? Uh, There's a lot of talk about, you know, among officials that, hey, we haven't been paying attention to seismological threats, to earthquake threats, And we've allowed these construction companies to build lots of buildings in Bishkek and elsewhere without uh, complying with uh, earthquake uh, standards. And so particularly in Bishkek, you know, there is this uh, uh, seismic uh, plates division area. It's like a dangerous site uh, which can be susceptible to earthquake. And so officials over the past several years allowed the construction of residential buildings in that area, which is... uh, susceptible to seismological activity. So it's crazy. And so now there is this discussion in Parliament, hey, we have to conduct this inventory of all buildings that uh, were built over the years and which do not meet the standards for seismological resistance. So there is this lot of talk. And in Tashkent, I was just reading the news, but President Mirziyoyev has uh, decreed to suspend all uh, residential construction. He did not cite that it was due to uh, what happened in Turkey, but it seems like officials have been affected by that. 
I think in Almaty, it's the same situation as, as in Bishkek. There are a lot of residential buildings that were literally built in the place of these tectonic plates. And there was more than 100 years ago a devastating earthquake in Almaty, which might uh, repeat itself. Nobody knows. It's hard to predict this. But I remember maybe about 10 years ago or something like that, there was quite a noticeable earthquake in Almaty and people were really scared. And at that time, there was a lot of criticism of the Ministry of Emergency because they they didn't even properly you know, prepare for press conference. Uh, it was, I think, right after New Year or something. And uh, there was this um, overall mood for the government officials that they didn't notify people in advance a step how to protect the people, how to gather in the safety points was missing. And I think right now it the situation didn't really change. Alishar, I think you know more about this. Uh, tell me how is the situation in Bishkek about the division of uh, some uh, parts of society in terms of celebrating Valentine's Day. Yeah, I agree. Do you have any hot date lined up for February 14th? No. <laughs> me neither. And one of the reasons is that most restaurants and cafes in Bishkek have been booked just like last year. And so every year we have this situation where, you know, like uh, there's a lot of romantic outpouring of uh, emotions. And so this year it seems like because of the war and because of some kind of financial shocks, uh, people are very much eager to lose themselves in some romantic activity. And so there's, there is a lot of uh, anticipation of this holiday. But just like in previous years, this holiday is causing divisions between conservative, more pious segments of community and more kind of urban, more Western-oriented parts of society. So I come from Osh, and some imams in Osh have actually come out and said, hey, if you celebrate this Western, this uh, pagan holiday, Valentine's Day, it's you're committing a sin. So you should just avoid celebrating it. And so, but then, you know, young people, they love this holiday. They, they love to buy flowers, uh, chocolate prices go up. So there's this divide now. But I agree, it seems like if uh, Alex Leslie, this Russian pickup artist, came to Kyrgyzstan and gave a series of training to people about how to pick up Kyrgyz or Uzbek girls, it would be a complete failure. We have a rather interesting situation in this country. There's not much interracial, interethnic, or even interregional dating among people. Some of the Russian relicanti who came to Bishkek, they've observed, and I've spoken to them, they said, hey, we're seeing that in Bishkek, Kyrgyz people seem to date only Kyrgyz people, and Russians date Russians, and so why is this the case? So It's been hard for me to answer this question, and I know that there's, compared possibly to Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan doesn't have much interesting kind of dating here, and so I myself have difficulties in asking Slavic women out, uh, perhaps because of cultural issues or because it's just it's just not acceptable here. What about in Almaty and Kazakhstan? I think in terms of Almaty, it's more of a quite chill culture, open and international. I know that among many of my friends and acquaintances. 
uh, people get married, so whether it's like Kazakh, Russian, Uzbek, Kazakh, Kazakh, Kyrgyz people, and it's, it's not discussed as an issue. But of course, if you talk to conservative part of society, for example, some Kazakhs, they would say that especially for women, that you should date Kazakh men and stuff like that. But in Almaty, I think it's it doesn't really work because mm-hmm. uh, it's a very, I would say, hipster area. Nobody cares about what other people say. It might be a different case in other regions like southern Kazakhstan or western Kazakhstan where uh, it's more uh, traditional and more Kazakh-speaking population. There are more Kazakhs in general, Kazakh-speaking Kazakhs, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and northern part of Kazakhstan and eastern part of Kazakhstan is more Russian-speaking population, and they also have their own cultural differences. Mm-hmm. And um, as you said, it's hard to guess in terms of what kind of culture will it be, what is acceptable and what is not. Maybe like the answer, why do people date only their ethnicity or nationality is that it's maybe just easier culturally. They would know that they understand certain things without speaking them out loud or communicating them uh, over and over. So people go easier way. (laughs) What do you think? It seems like our Central Asian region or societies as much as they claim that they are they are walking in pace with modernity they're still conservative for i have a friend uh, iperi and she's dating this turkish guy uh they're in love and but iperi is hiding this fact from her parents she lives in bishkek and uh, uh, her parents live in istikul and so uh, her parents think that she's dating a kyrgyz guy she said that uh, if her parents fi- will find out they will be so upset it, not because they don't like Turkish people. After all, there's a lot of sympathy towards Turkey now because of the earthquake. I think it's just unacceptable for someone from Isikul to date someone from another ethnic group. And I know quite a number of uh, Turkish guys here. They've, uh, they have difficulties, you know, like cultural difficulties. Uh, my friend Mehmet, for example, he told me how when he was walking with his uh, girlfriend, uh, Nazgul, in a park, uh, a group of guys came up to him, locals, and and they were harassing them. Like they, they could see that he was a foreigner, he was speaking no Turkish. Basically though they told him to kind of uh to stay away from Kyrgyz girls. So I I hear all these stories about, you know, this uh, racism and this chauvinism. So it just it speaks volumes about difficulties, you know, of being of uh like dating and also being a foreigner in, in, in Central Asia. I also want to share a personal story I'm divorced, uh, so I'm in my early 40s. I thought that, you know, I would be more independent, you know, in, 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 after, you know, like uh, having seen marriage. But even I am coming under a lot of pressure from my community, like ethnic Uzbek community in, in Osh, my parents. They want me to remarry, and they want me to marry only Uzbek woman. So they don't even want a Kyrgyz or a foreigner. So... It's just it's it's just incredible how uh, this pressure never stops. I've uh, been dating some Kyrgyz women over the past several years, and uh, uh, so but that has caused also issues in, in South Kyrgyzstan where there are still ethnic tensions. So that leads us to another topic, right? Uh, changes in 
Kyrgyzstan-Uzbekistani relations. Yeah, I think you as an ethnic Uzbek from Kyrgyzstan know a lot more about this topic. Um, I've just recently read one article about the new stage of relationship between Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan, that they now allow the almost free travel with internal IDs. The international passports are not required anymore. So what kind of signal is it for official level of relationships and what does it mean for regular people? Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan are having this uh, rosy romantic period in their history. So after years of negative relations, distrust, the two countries have entered a period which is marked by higher degree of collaboration. You know, Mirziyoy was visiting Bishkek uh, last month. They, they signed this uh, treaty that completely uh, resolved border issues. So uh, there's a lot of trade going on. And so uh, in some relations are booming. And uh, for ethnic Uzbek population in South Kyrgyzstan, which makes up between 18 to 20 percent of the general population of Kyrgyzstan, it's just really good news. Uzbeks of Kyrgyzstan have long thought closer relations between the two countries. And so it's easier for them to visit relatives. Uh, it's easy for them to do business. But the reality is different, I agree. So I still, like as someone who grew up in Osh who visits Osh regularly, I sense those ethnic tensions. And so uh, there's distrust between the two communities, uh, despite the improvement of relations. So for example, the Uzbeks, they still feel that they are somewhat excluded from the political processes in, in Kyrgyzstan. And then on the Kyrgyz side, uh, some Kyrgyz community figures, they feel that Uzbekistan's closer relations with Kyrgyzstan may embolden some separatist-leaning Kyrgyzstani Uzbeks to demand more political rights and closer relations with Uzbekistan. Um, Alisher, I just wanted to ask you briefly for people who have no idea what happened between Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan. Can you just tell me what is the um, source of these tensions and why are two nations so suspicious of each other? Well, there's a long history of animosity you know, between Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan. The ethnic tension in South Kyrgyzstan you know, was caused by actual collapse of the government in Bishkek in April 2010. And so, but the tension was running deeper. So, for example, Uzbeks have long complained that the Kyrgyz people, they discriminated against them, you know, like that although they were citizens of Kyrgyzstan, they were not given jobs in police, in the court system, and so they felt excluded from mm -hmm. uh, political and economic uh, aspects of the country. Whereas the Kyrgyz felt as that the Uzbeks were not taking part in, in Kyrgyz life and not learning Kyrgyz. And, and they, they also were concerned that the Uzbeks would demand autonomy from Kyrgyzstan. So these fears, these uh, long-running kind of disputes over land, territory, they just culminated in this uh, violence in June 2010 that claimed the lives of more than 400 people. And the violence also led to the destruction of property and a humanitarian crisis. So it was a crazy period, 2010. I was in Osh and I witnessed all that uh, craze. So things have improved since then, you know, mainly because uh, under Mirziyoyev, Uzbekistan has decided to pursue this cautious policy towards Kyrgyzstan, you know, this good neighborly policy. Um, and so Uzbekistan actually uh, invested a lot of resources, money and infrastructure to help rebuild South Kyrgyzstan. And so 
good relations with Bishkek also helped Tashkent to kind of lessen this distrust towards Uzbekistan. I see. Yeah, the inter-ethnic relations are such a complicated thing in Central Asia and in other post-Soviet countries, I guess. In Kazakhstan, there are also a lot of uh, issues with that. And the most recent violence was in 2020 in Kordai um, Mm -hmm. with Dungans and Kazakhs, and it also resulted in many casualties. Kazakhstan has a a sizable Russian population, and and so over the years there have been concerns that they're not learning Kazakh and that, you know, particularly those that live towards like in the north, right? So there's, there are concerns about Russians not being fully Kazakhstani citizens. There are some parts of um, ethnic Russian population that actually, as we've talked in the previous episodes, they mm-hmm. watch a Russian state propaganda. Some of them even think that Putin is their president, not uh, <laughs> like the Kazakh president, Kassandra oh, Martakayev. And um, we also have, for example, city called Baikonur, the mm-hmm. space uh, cosmodrome. And this is a weird city, which apparently has two constitutions, Russian and Kazakh constitution. There are two currencies in place. There is Russian police and Kazakh police. I think like there are a lot of things that people don't talk about and openly, I mean, um, but it may result in some violence or in some casualties as it happens from time to time. But um, as you said, officials are also trying to apply this policy of good neighbors and Kazakhstan is doing the same uh, mm-hmm. with all its neighbors. So we'll see how this policy will work out in the future. I wanted to finish our discussion with the topic about the booming movie industry in Central Asian states. A few weeks ago, I've read one article in Medusa's newsletter called The Beat about uh, some independent movie producers in Tajikistan who were trying to recreate this period of civil war in Tajikistan in the 90s. So I found it quite fascinating. And I think you also mentioned before that there are some awards of Kyrgyz movie, right? Can you tell more about this? There is this film called SMD uh, by Kyrgyzstani director Aktan Arim Kubar. It won Asia Pacific Screen Awards in November. It, it won the uh, Asia Pacific Screen Awards uh, Jury Grand Prize. Literally meaning, this is what I remember. The film is about a Kyrgyz migrant who moves to Russia and then because of an accident, he loses his memory. And then he's brought back to Kyrgyzstan and he, and he reconnects with his family. And so he has difficulties in remembering things, but it shows all the nuances. You know, there's a migration, there are family values, memory. So it was a big thing in Kyrgyzstan. You know, it's like Asia Pacific Screen Awards has a reputation as like Asian Oscars. So for the first time in the history of uh, Kyrgyz and Central Asian film industry, a Kyrgyz film won an important award. So it just showed that Kyrgyz film industry is making a comeback. You know, there's this, there's been this uh, period in the 70s and 80s when Kyrgyzstani film industry had this golden period. So many films were produced by Kyrgyzstani Soviet filmmakers, including Billy Parahot, a White Ship, uh, which, which was uh, uh, scripted by 
famous Kyrgyz writer Chinggis Aitmanov based on his novel. And then there were scores of other films. And so there are, there are hopes now that, hey, our film industry is making a comeback. Uh, it's still underfunded, the film industry. There's not much money there. But uh, a lot of uh, viewers, they want Kyrgyz language films. And I assume that that's the same thing happening in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan as well. Yeah, I've noticed that in Kazakhstan, there is the whole new generation of young producers, uh, documentary filmmakers that are trying to reflect upon the past uh, history of the country or trying to reflect the contemporary situation. And, you know, their movies, they're widely popular in Kazakhstan. Some of them people watch on YouTube. For some of them, they go to the cinemas. And for me personally, I see a big shift because when I was like in high school, I remember that it was cool to just go for Western movies and watch these blockbusters or comedies. But now it is cool to go for locally produced movies and especially support Kazakh language uh, movies. And I think this is a positive trend overall in society, which actually brings me to another point because... Recently in Almaty, there was another filming of a movie which has caused some controversy among society because uh, this was a movie about the bloody January events that happened last year in Kazakhstan in which at least 238 people died. Who filmed that film? Well, it's it's still under the making like they're still filming it in Almaty and I've seen some comments on social media people taking photos and videos of these uh, scenes because mm-hmm. they were scared a bit there was some like, scenes of chaos where there are overturned cars so it was like a repetition of January events and people were confused what's going on like they blocked uh, some streets in Almaty which is rare for any movie And uh, a lot of people actually started to question who actually is doing this. And if readers and listeners are interested in Eurasianet, there is an interesting feature about this upcoming Bloody January movie in Kazakhstan in which they talk a lot more about who is funding it, uh, who is a producer, and what kind of connections they have to the government. I think that you're right, the film industry is making a comeback, not only in Kyrgyzstan, but in other uh, countries of Central Asia. And we will hopefully see more of um, really nice, deep, insightful, creative pieces. Just reflect as society what's happened to us in the past, what is happening now. And this is a nice way through movies to to watch this and to think about it. Yeah, and film industries are not only trying to entertain, but they're also serving as uh, platforms for making peace. Uh, So, for example, Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan, they've jointly produced a number of films, uh, the most recent one being, uh, it's called Dilberim. Uh, Uzbek and Kyrgyz uh, actors, they've shot this film in Kyrgyzstan, and so uh, they marketed it in both countries, and it was popular, actually. It came out a few years ago, so it just showed how ethnic relations can be kind of affected or improved by this uh, co- collaboration between film film industries as well. This has been Eurasia Chat Podcast with your host Alisher and Aigirin. 
Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode.